I think it's all about the animal's overall health. And if they're having to use that feed in the spring to build their body and their weight back up first, that I think equates to poor antler growth overall. And, and if you take an animal that's fairly poor in health, that's gone through the winter and struggled, and then you put poor conditions in the spring on that animal, that definitely is going to equate to, you know, stunted antlers. Every five years, they, they start a new season structure and it pushes back a Friday on the calendar. So what happens is, is it, it pushes forward a day or two every single year. And that's what happens. We're at the end of this five-year structure. So this is the earliest that, that it will get, obviously. Okay. And then it'll bounce back to the 15th. And then again, it'll kind of push forward, I believe, as we move forward in that season structure. So that's, that's what happens. Yep, and the more pressure you put on the elk, not to mention with it being right there at Williams and it being a great recreating place, you have people out, out there camping, riding quads and side-by-sides right. and whatnot, just, just recreating. All of that puts pressure on the elk, and no matter if it's hunting pressure or just recreating pressure, it causes them to become more nocturnal and less vocal. I'll say this so people with high points remember this. In the bonus point round, which is the first phase of the draw where they're issuing the first 20% of the tags to the highest point holders, the draw considers both your first and your second choice in that bonus point phase. So if you don't have enough points to draw your first choice, but you do have enough points to draw your second choice, you will automatically get that hunt in the bonus point round and you won't even get to the random phase of the draw where you would have a chance to draw your first choice. Hey guys, welcome to the Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I want to take a minute to introduce you to a new organization called Howl for Wildlife. Howl was grown out of the necessity to have a fast-acting tool to focus the sportsman's voice on issues concerning wildlife management and hunting. It's Howl's goal to shut down any initiative that doesn't support sound management practices before it even makes it to the ballot, and certainly before it reaches the court. I know I sound like a broken record, but we need to start looking at hunting as a community and not just an individual sport. And that means supporting all hunting, whether we engage in duck hunting or predator hunting or anything in between. We are all in this for different reasons. And unfortunately, it's this difference that will be our undoing if we let it. So we need to come together as one pack and let our diversity be our strength. We are a strong force if we band together, one voice, one howl. I want you to go to howlforwildlife.org, that's H-O-W-L for wildlife.org, and join there. There's no cost to you to becoming a member. Howl operates solely on donations, so it's completely up to you if you decide you want to send money or not. There will be no annoying emails, no newsletter advertisements, or money grabs, or anything like that. No drives. Signing up as a member just means that when there's an issue concerning wildlife management like this attempt on banning mountain lion hunting and bear hunting in Arizona, you will be called to stand with us and let your voice be heard. So get out there, get on Howlful Wildlife, become a member, and join the pack. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the, uh, that's the MO of, of the other side. They're sneaky little bastards. <laughs> yeah, they are. Exactly. And I think if we spend our whole life trying to rip the rug out from under them and anything that they hold dear, you know, right? We well, I mean, that's all a, of our time, yeah, that's crazy. We're we're 
we're basically on the defensive all the time and they're uh, always on the offensive flake. Yeah. Do something yeah, it is. that you want to help wildlife, do something proactive for actual wildlife, right? Exactly. Or improve habitat. Go yeah. make, go make water holes. Go build water holes. Do something. Instead of right. freaking breaking our balls every two seconds. Exactly. God. Yeah, I know. Anyway. It's super frustrating. Well, you know what it is? It's big money. It's it's big money. It's big business. You're on both and unfortunately it's it's big business on both sides. It's a dirty thing when you really follow the money and you look into it. It's it's oh, not, it's not cool. But not no doubt. Anyway. Um so uh we're gonna talk elk today. I got uh, Steve Chapel on the on the line, and uh, we're going to talk specifically about the Arizona about Arizona elk and the draw, and because that's coming up here, the deadline's pretty soon, huh? Yeah, it's coming up on February eighth, John. I was glad to see that they opened up the application period this year on the fifth of January, whereas last year it was the twentieth. So right. We've still got a little bit of time, almost a month, but you know how that is. Time can get away fast. So yeah, I, it's, I already it's, put my it's stuff in. Time. <laughs> I put my there stuff in the first day so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> yeah, um, it is easy to forget if you if you don't do it right when you're thinking about it. I, just, I get so busy helping other people that sometimes, you know, toward the end I go, Oh yeah, I need to submit my own. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, no, I I just realized that even though I was working on it. I didn't actually do it on Wyoming's too. It's like, oh my like, oh shit, I got to do that. I got before I forget, and that passes me by. So yeah, but yeah. Anyhow, well, I'm trying to think where we could start on this. I think I I think what I'd like to start with is your view on the elk herd right now. What you think in like what you're seeing or what you saw from last year or the last couple of years. Um, like herd health and, and the outlook, you know, of the actual state as, as a whole. Yes. Um, you know, overall I'm, I'm encouraged right now. I was, uh, pretty concerned in 2020, you know, uh, uh, we'd had such an extended drought Yeah, that went clear into, into winter and through winter. And, um, but with us having those record monsoons last summer, Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, getting replenished with feed and lots of good water and tanks and everything. I think the elk made a real good comeback. They were very resilient is the first thing about them that always amazes me. But I feel like the elk really uh, had a good year uh, in 2021, especially later on. And I feel like from my observations that they went into the winter healthy. Right. And... Um, We've had a mild winter so far, which is not all bad. I, I mean, this winter is supposed to be a La Nina winter, mm-hmm. which I, I would rather see an El Nino. But I guess the, the other side of the coin is if, if the elk have a mild winter, they're not using a lot of their reserves to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and thus, when spring comes and it's time for them to, to, to build antlers, all of that feed will go toward that instead of replenishing their body. Uh, I do feel like we're... You know, with all the good feed we went into winter with, the subsoil moisture, I think we could be fine for spring if we can, you know, get some of those uh, rains in, in March, April. I think we would do just fine despite the the La Nina forecast for winter. Right. 
Although yeah. I, I think we've gotten quite a bit of snow up north, right? I mean, we've gotten quite a bit of precipitation here this winter. So yeah, we've far. had plenty. We've had plenty. Um, it's not been like you know record type no. snowfall or anything like that, but it's but it's been plenty. I think you know a negative if you have too much snow, it can serve it pushes nitrogen deeper down, right? And then uh, grasses and things that take that moisture that's closer to the top. They don't reach down and get that nitrogen. So I think everything is looking good at this point. I'm really encouraged. So, you know, from your experience on antler growth, I've heard a bunch of different philosophies on it's the year before, it's, you know, the year after a drought, so, you know, so many different philosophies i kind of want to see what your what your uh school of thought is on the way antlers are you know are formed in in in, in conjunction with the weather better i guess yeah yeah i think it's all about the animal's overall health and if they're having to use that feed in the spring to build their body and their weight back up first that i think equates to poor antler growth overall. And, and if you take an animal that's fairly poor in health, that has gone through the winter and struggled, and then you put poor conditions in the spring on that animal, mm-hmm. that definitely is going to equate to, you know, stunted antlers. Right. By contrast, I feel like if you have a good monsoon season and they have good feed in the fall, you have that green up like we had, it was epic this past fall. Right. And then you have plenty of water. You know, water is huge, too. They not only get it from, from water sources, but from the plants, from the grass, and everything they eat. If you have those conditions and their body is healthy and they're slick and fat, then they're able to pump that, you know, spring feed into their antlers. And, and thus, I think we're set up to have a really good, strong antler growth year this year. I really do. Nice. Nice. That's kind of my, my school of thought too. And I, yeah. I don't know why I never did any real scientific research on it, but I know I just kind of automatically assumed that obviously healthy animals going to have healthy, you know, healthy horns or anything. But, but I had heard some, some stuff about like, you know, the year after a drought and this and that, and, and from people who, you know, spent a lot of time afield and I was like, oh, maybe there's something right. to it, but I don't know, you know, so I just kind of yeah. want to see you send another guy spends a lot of time afield to see what, what your thought process was. And it's kind of, it's refreshing, I guess, yeah. to know that you have the same philosophy that I do. Right. So, right. As far as maybe, I don't know how to approach this. Let's talk about units specifically, I guess we have, I mean, Arizona as a whole, I would say most of most units, there's a couple outliers that are really, you know, not really considered elk units, but they have elk in them. As a whole, we produce good elk. What I mean by good elk, I mean trophy quality, I guess, uh, throughout the state. What, if we can put them into, because they keep changing, not keep changing, but they have changed over the years. And what's you know the best, and what's the you know very the very very best versus the very very or less least favorable, whatever? Can we organize them in uh, in a fashion that uh, 
people could get an understanding. I don't know, maybe put them in tears or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, John. That's a, that's a great question. So, you know, I want people to know this is just kind of my opinion on these units. It's, it can vary from person to person. But on the whole, as my top tier units, I would put, you know, of course, 23 North, 23 South, mm-hmm. uh, to name those right off the bat. Um, very, very low tag allocations for those units. So they're super hard to draw. Um, but, you know, they are special units for sure. Uh, 23 South is pretty, pretty rough and rugged. So not just for anyone. I would also obviously put nine and 10 in that top tier status, uh, just mainly because of the genetics and trophy potential in those units. Uh, you know, the rut can kind of live or die by the moisture. If we have a really droughty summer, sometimes they can, they can have a subdued rut in those units as they can in, in any unit. But, uh, it, it seems especially pronounced in those North Northwest units where it's a little drier on average. You know, I would still also put uh, 3C, you know, it's under 3A, 3C on hunt codes. Mm -hmm. I would still include that unit, even though it's not on on the alternative management program anymore. Um, It's been a few years since they removed it. So right now you have units 1, 9, 10, 23, and 27, I believe, that are on that alternative management program. I still feel like 3C, though, has held its status of, of being a big bull producer. Maybe it's slipped just a little bit since the you know early 2000s mm-hmm. when we were taking bigger bulls out of there. But I still feel like, you know, 340, 350 and the occasional special bull is very possible in, in 3C. So, you know, I, I keep it up there. Um, you know, moving into mid-tier units, I'm going to say units like uh, 1... Seven West, twenty-seven, mm-hmm. maybe three B, maybe the reason I, I don't include one in that top tier status is just because the to me the age class has slipped a little in that unit. It's a little lower. Sure, there's a lot of elk there. It's a very fun hunt. Uh, the rut is usually good there. It's usually a good archery hunt with lots of bugling, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You just have to sort through a lot of, you know, 280 to 300 class bulls. Uh, it's not super easy to even find that 320, 330 class bull there. Okay. Um, and, and you have your occasional big bull, no doubt. Um, but, you know, when you're in a giant unit, trying to find that occasional big bull, as you know, (laughs) is, is, is tough. Um, but for someone who's not, you know, super picky about trophy quality, but wants a good active rut hunt, I I think you can't go wrong with unit one. Yeah. I mentioned, you know, three B seven West and 27 being in there. I would probably rank 27 higher for someone who's a super physical person who's looking for that, you know, real, classic mountain type hunt where you can really get away from people if you're a you know tough hiker that hunt could be awesome for someone um but that hunt's not just for anyone not just for your average guy who can flat wear you out to try to get to these elk in 27 right you know and i don't feel like the rut is typically as strong in 27 as it is in one Mm. you know on the late hunt both those units one and 27 are good um a lot of bulls from one go into 27 the winter and with the, the big burn that we had about a decade about a decade ago, it opened up a lot of country to late rifle hunting that formerly, you know, was just timbered. You couldn't see. So 
you know, thus they've been killing a lot of bulls on those hunts, especially in 27. So, you know, maybe it's taken the trophy quality down a click there, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And then as, as far as lower tier units, I hate even saying lower tier because there's some really great units, you know, be everything else like your 4A, 4B, 5A, the 5Bs north and south, 6A, mm-hmm. 7 east. 22 i don't know if i've forgotten any but if i did that's where i would put those you know not necessarily about hunt quality but but more so you know a little fewer and far between to find bulls that are 340 350 class a little tougher to do mm-hmm. in in units like the fives and six you know i feel like 6a would have some real good potential it just really is slammed with tag allocation oh my god <laughs> <laughs> there's so yeah. many tags that 6a right. has well 6a has the largest population elk in the state right right um yep and they just it's just a like a opportunity machine you know they're just pumping 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 tags in that unit for the last i don't know 10 years or so Absolutely. i i remember seeing really <laughs> giant bulls in there and you brought up, you said seven East. Now seven each East is yeah. like atrocious. Now I remember right. back in the day, I did a lot of deer hunting in seven East and man, there were some big bulls in there. I think you killed him. Yeah. Didn't you kill a giant bull in seven East? Uh, he was, you know, pushing three fifty. He was right oh, at three fifty. Okay. Gross. For some reason That's I was my... thinking three eighty or something like that, but yeah, three fifty yeah. is a great bull. Yeah, and that was my last archery tag, as a matter of fact. It's kind of wow, funny that, that we're talking ago, about. Huh? Yeah, yeah, in 2010. So, you know, I'm sitting on quite a few points and uh, wondering what to do this year if I pull the trigger or not. One thing I will say, so I don't forget to mention this, is, um, you know, guys are going to want to look and consider at that archery date this year with it being September 9th through the 22nd. Mm-hmm. I feel that like that's a little early for it most is. of the units. Um it is. I really think the last, you know, five days of that hunt, if any, are going to be the best for sure. But it could be otherwise. It could be a very frustrating, slow hunt, especially if we have dry, warm conditions, you know, during the hunt. It right. could be pretty slow. So, you know, something to consider, especially guys with a bunch of bonus points, because next year we start on a new five-year season structure and the archery hunt will be September 15th through the 28th. So, something to something to keep in mind and don't don't throw away your precious bonus points on just any hunt this year yeah i saw that and that's why i wasn't too pissed off about the fact i looked you know i use go hunt whatever to kind of figure out what i'm going to do but um i don't have enough points for the unit that i want to draw uh yeah so i'm like ah better put it in if i get it i get it great if i don't I'm not going to be too upset because why did they move it? So isn't it usually like closer to like the 14th or something like that? Yeah. It's what happens, John is every five years, they, they start a new season structure and it pushes back a Friday on the calendar. So what happens is, is it, it pushes forward a day or two every single year. And that's what happens. We're at the end of this five year structure. So this is the earliest that, that it will get obviously. Okay. And then it'll bounce back to the 15th. And then again, it'll kind of push forward, I believe, as we move forward in that season structure. So that's that's what happens. So, but next year it'll be like the 10th or something. It's not going to be that much further ahead. It should be looking at the calendar. It should be the 15th through the 28th. Oh, in okay, fact, okay, I think, got it. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. it, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, didn't look, I didn't look, but 
let me ask you that we're talking about units. I've seen 18A and 18B jump on the radar a few times for trophy quality necessarily for larger bulls. I don't know much about those units. I had a friend who had that tag this year and he told me about all the giant bulls, but I guess he had to have access to something to, to see those bulls. But uh, Right. I'm kind of in the same boat you are. I haven't um, spent time in those units basically just because I haven't had demand for those hunts. So mm-hmm. there's been no reason to spend time in them. Obviously, the elk populations aren't what they are in, in, say, Unit 10 or Unit 9 or whatnot. But, yeah, easier to draw. And, and I do agree with you. I do have a couple of friends who've had tags in those units who, who have encountered really big bulls. Um, so on the right kind of year, you could do well on, the, on those hunts. Although I do think a lot of the better hunting is, is controlled by private land. And, okay. and, and so other, that's other what units, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, and in, and in other units, as you know, it's just big, giant national forests, and we don't have to worry about about right, that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was. My understanding was that those units had great opportunity, but unfortunately, they're on private land, and I don't know what the cost is associated with that or anything like that. But I got to figure that out because you know it might be another opportunity that I'm not looking at. They draw a tag a little bit earlier, you know, <laughs> right. but I don't uh-huh. know. So, yeah. Um, we kind of lumped in a lot of, a lot of units into the kind of the same category. And I, and I feel like within those units or that was the word I'm looking for. Basically all those units that you lump, we kind of lumped into the, the lowest tier. It's probably, let's say five tiers versus the three. three. Yeah. Right. And right. um, I think on the upper echelon of the lower tier stuff, in my opinion, and I don't know if you agree with me, uh, 5B, both south, north, and uh, absolutely, and 5A yep. um, are probably the upper side of that. Um, Without a doubt. Yeah. Some people would probably say those should be in the mid tier, especially if they have direct experience and you know right if know you know where to go and, exactly yep. um mm-hmm. unit eight i don't know i i have mixed feelings about unit eight because the last <laughs> i had a client there not was it last year or the year before and we've seen some pretty couple big bulls we we were messing matter of fact with two big bulls for most of the time that was i was there and i just couldn't seem to get it done for him but on the big bulls um but the overall quality of the hunt was kind of shitty but i remember that unit being really good as yeah and i don't know if i just caught it on an off year i I thought it was an off year to begin with so absolutely john absolutely it was 2020 if i remember correctly where you were there yep and i was in nine that's right we had a conversation yeah had the same type of experience in nine and it's hard not to judge a unit when you're in there and it's a super dry year but you're right. It was almost a no bugling, super subdued rut. Mm-hmm. I think what, what has hurt eight a little bit is uh, I believe a few years ago that hunt had 150 bull tags and then it went to 175. Right. I think then to 200. Now we're at 250. <sighs> I feel like that unit, that's a, that's a little excessive on the archery tags for that unit. Not not only hurting the, the trophy quality, but also the experience of the hunt. You know, when you have that many people afield, mm-hmm. you're going to have hunter interference. It's just it's just a fact. Um, 
Yeah, there was and, people and everywhere. The, yep, and the more pressure you put on the elk, not to mention with it being right there at Williams and it being a great recreating place, you have people out out there camping, riding quads and side by sides and right. whatnot, just just recreating. All of that puts pressure on the elk, and no matter if it's hunting pressure or just recreating pressure, it causes them to become more nocturnal and less vocal. And yeah, that, that's kind of to me the wrap on unit eight. As with many units, I don't want to just say eight. Many units have that spotty bugling and rutting activity. Where on a fourteen-day hunt, mm-hmm. sometimes you may only have four or five mornings out of fourteen where they're bugling good. You know, for even an hour after daylight. So yeah you have to make the most of of it. So apply for units like that with caution. And, you know, my advice would be if you put units like eight, uh, seven East, six, a, the fives, you know, first off, don't have super high expectations, but, but secondly, make sure and use those as your second choice, knowing what you're going to get if you draw that hunt and apply for a first choice that has top tier status or something that's your dream hunt. Right. I, I think so many people misunderstand the draw and how it works and they either put their first and second choice out of order or they, or they apply for just two average hunts that are basically would be the same type of hunt if they drew either choice. Right. Well, so, let's, man, let's talk about that real quick. So uh, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of tiptoeing around it. The way, <laughs> the way that the, um, the draw works, well, I'll let you explain it. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing I say in a nutshell, if you don't remember any of the details about it, the wise way to apply is to swing for a home run on your first choice and then pick a second choice that's still going to meet your baseline expectations, but that obviously has better draw odds than your first choice. That's what you want to do with your second choice. Now, I'll say this so people with high points remember this. In the bonus point round, which is the first phase of the draw where they're issuing the first 20% of the tags to the highest point holders, the draw considers both your first and your second choice in that bonus point phase. So so if you don't have enough points to draw your first choice, but you do have enough points to draw your second choice, you will automatically get that hunt in the bonus point round and you won't even get to the random phase of the draw where you would have a chance to draw your first choice. So I say all that to say this, make sure if you have high points that you check statistics and see what your, what your chances are to draw your second choice before you apply for it and make sure you would be happy with it before you do that. Right. So let's just take for round numbers a hunt that's got a hundred bull tags on it, like some of the archery hunts do. Mm-hmm. So of those hundred tags, they're going to run the bonus point phase of the draw first. And the first 20 tags will be issued in that phase of the draw. Now for residents, they, they can get 15 of those tags during that phase of the draw. Non-residents could only get up to five of those tags. Right. Dur- during that phase of the draw. Okay. And not to get too technical, But the way that it determines, let's say that there's a pool of people with the same amount of bonus points and there's not enough tags left for that many people. The way the draw determines who does get the tags and who doesn't get the tags in the bonus point phase, if there's a tie in the bonus point category, is uh, random numbers are issued to everyone based on how many points they have. Mm -hmm. And then the computer selects the lowest random number that it generates for you. Let's say you have 15 bonus points. 
in the bonus point phase, the computer will issue 15 random numbers to you. Right. It'll select the lowest one and assign that number to you. It will do that for everyone who's in the bonus point round. So the way it would determine who would get a tag if there's a if there's a tie bonus point wise is who has that level of bonus points, but the next who has the lowest random number mm-hmm. in that bonus point category. So that's getting pretty technical. But then but then in the random draw where most of the tags are issued, like on that hunt with a hundred bull tags, there's going to be 80 random tags. What the computer does is it is it reissues brand new random numbers for everyone at that point. Mm-hmm. And in that phase, if you have 15 bonus points, you actually get 16 random numbers. And the reason for the extra one is because there's people in the draw with zero bonus points. So they get one random number generated for their application. So everyone gets a random number for their application plus an extra random number for Fringe every bonus point. point. Yep. Exactly. Then at that point, after it's issued random numbers for everyone and selected the lowest one, you are ranked by random number only. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it doesn't matter it's if you're in It's a space online, basically. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And then again, in the random phase, it's when it gets to your application and the sequence of those random numbers, in, in the order of those random numbers, when it gets to you, it's going to consider your first choice first. See if it can issue you a tag for that hunt. If it can, it it does. If not, it looks immediately to your second choice before it moves to the next person's application and even considers their first choice. And that's why it's so important to put those first and second choices in the proper order. If you flip-flop it, John, and let's say you put the Unit 8 hunt ahead of the Unit 9 hunt or the Unit 10 hunt or or 23 or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you, you basically block your premier hunt if you put it second and put an easier to draw hunt first. Right. You block it because basically when the computer comes to your application, if if you can draw the unit eight hunt, boom, it's going to issue you the tag and you never had the chance to draw the premier hunt. And, and another thing about it is if, if there's not tags left for unit eight and it considers your second choice, which is nine, 10, 23 North, whatever it happens to be, you're certainly not going to draw that hunt either because there's no tags left for you to date at that point, if that makes sense. Right, exactly. And it all comes down to your first and second choice for bull tags, for quality bull tags. Now, you might be able to draw, you know, say 4B late archery or something like that as a third, fourth, fifth choice. I want people to know that. But for, you know, rut hunts. When is the fourth and fifth choice come, or third? third and fourth choice come into play i don't even like yeah so basically after they, yeah john after they've done the bonus point phase of the draw mm-hmm. and then they've done the random phase of the draw where they've issued the remaining you know 80 percent of the tags they do the third phase of the draw next which is where they consider your third fourth and fifth choices together Okay. However, as you can imagine on these quality hunts, once they've gone through everyone's first and second choices and considered those, basically to get to the third to the, to the third phase of the draw, mm-hmm. a hunt would have to have fewer applicants for it than tags available, right, exactly. if that makes sense. Which is so not, you're not yeah. going to have quality hunts mm-hmm. there in those. You're not going to draw a quality hunt as a third, fourth, and fifth choice. So I basically say, you know, make it all about your first and second choice and don't waste too much mental energy on third through fifth choices unless 
you would be happy with a cow hunt in a marginal unit or, you know, say maybe a late archery hunt in one of the lower tier units, something like that. Right. right. Yeah. I don't even think you can draw a late, a late archery tag anymore on a third. I, I don't believe so either. They've become a little more popular. And, well, yeah, because no people realize they can actually, you can pull some decent bulls with those tags. Right. You just got to know how to hunt, hunt them and where to hunt them and, and know that you're not going to be calling to them, you know? Exactly. So Know that what the experience is going to be about. It's not going to be a rut type yeah. experience. I've actually killed two, sure. two bulls on that late archery. Those are my last, oh, my last two tags were late archery bulls. Nice. Yeah. And, and I yeah. just, I did it because I wasn't going to have time to go during the early season. And I was like, but I still want to go elk hunting in Arizona. <laughs> right. So exactly. And they end up being good. I didn't shoot big bulls. I mean, they were ones like 280 and yeah, about the other bull. They're both about the same, you know? Yeah. Like but on months. a late hunt. Yeah. On a late hunt, you did well. Absolutely. So, but, um, yeah, but I've seen some giants. I've seen some really big bulls on that, on that hunt, you know? Um, anyway, but that's, that's, yeah. Thing. One more thing, John, before we leave the draw and how it works that I should say that I didn't mention is that non-residents, there's a 10% cap in the draw. Mm -hmm. So I kind of alluded to it in what I said in that the draw allows half of the non-residents, half of the non-resident tags to be issued in the bonus point round, but they save the other half of those potential non-resident tags for the random draw. Right. They did that. They made that change in 2016 because they were finding out more and more that that 10% non-resident quota was getting taken during the bonus point phase. And there were no random tags left for non-residents when they got to the random part of right. the draw. So now so, it's five. It's five percent and and five percent. Is that how it is? Yeah, I okay. like to say half. I like to say half and half because that okay. makes that makes a little more sense. So that same hunt where you have a hundred bull tags with ten of them being available to non-residents, five of those ten tags can be issued in the bonus point phase of the draw, and they save the other five tags as random tags for the random draw. Which so is great, because now everybody has a mathematical chance. Absolutely, John. Yeah. I think it was a necessary change and, and, a, and a good one, because it makes sense now for non-residents to, to apply and go, go for right. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I had that conversation with a lot of people that I do my, you know, drawing or my tag strategy with. Um there's, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but there's, there's a lot of, uh, things. If you look at it, so this is a conversation I have a lot of time with sheep guys because they want to put in and I'm like, you don't have a mathematical chance to get a, a tag there. There's, there's only one yeah. tag and it, right. they don't give one ta tag to the non-resident. It's going to go to a resident. So exactly. like, you know, you need to look, you need to look at those things and so sheep is real easy because it, the numbers are real low, right? To, right? to look at, but you need to look at those things when you're applying as an out-of-stater and say, okay, well, you know, you just gave nice round numbers. There's a hundred tags. There's 10 tags available for us. What, what are my chances of getting this? You know, like, right. But, um, yeah. And I, and I, the other thing is I, I tell people all the time, I said, you got to understand something. People that want to come to Arizona from out of state are typically going to put in for the 
those upper tier units that you were talking about, because that's what they're coming. They, that's the experience they're going. They're coming. They want to come to Arizona experience. You know, the four hundred inch bull screaming. Right. You know, <laughs> that's what they're coming for. So if you're uh-huh. just an opportunity hunter, you might have a good shot at pulling a tag at one of these other units if you're, you know, if that's what you want. But so exactly increase your draw odds by not setting your sights too high yeah. yeah i always you know if i see people who have a unit nine tag and they shoot a five by five on the second day you kind of think why did you even hold out for this unit you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah yeah for <laughs> you sure have done fine with a lower tier yeah but anyway exactly i'm trying to think what else i wanted to squeeze out of you today I think that was, I mean, we've covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I wanted to get this out here because like I said, we're in the, the heart of the, the draw right now. But um, is there any anything that you can think of that we didn't talk about that's important for people that are going into this draw should know? Is there any new changes? I don't I Honestly, um, I've been so disconnected to, to that. i got so much crap going on right now that I didn't really pay attention. And I should. Yeah, I would... I can, I'll touch on a few things as far as changes go. Not, not major, major, but uh, like I see the 3A and 3C archery hunt mm-hmm. uh, added 25 tags. So there's, there's 125 bull tags this year. You know, I think the unit can handle that. I don't know that it, that it makes it better, but you know, it's something to consider. I see that unit 27 added 25 tags on the, on the late hunt and on the archery hunt. Mm. They added 25 to that. They added 25 tags on the unit 23 late rifle hunt, which I feel like overall that's probably the best late rifle hunt in the state. So it's up from 125 to 150. You know, there's some increases in some of the other units, some of the lower tier units like 5A, 5B. I think 4A has a a few more tags. Mm -hmm. 3C has a few more on the late hunt. To me, the most significant change that I noticed uh, is that unit 23 North increased from 15 tags on the archery hunt and the early rifle hunt to 20 tags. So Hmm. the significance of that is that now equates to two not potential non-resident tags, one bonus point tag and one potential random tag for non-residents. Whereas before there was only one potential random tag for non-residents. Wow. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal in my opinion. It's, it's more so a big deal to guys with a lot of bonus points who had kind of 23 North on the radar as their dream hunt. And then, uh, you know, when they see there's only one non-resident tag potentially, and it's a random tag, it kind of lets the wind out of their sails. But now a guy who's, you know, got up there in the 23, 24, 25 bonus point range could probably draw that tag nice. in the bonus point phase. So that's, that's pretty significant. I'm kind of glad to see that they did that. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, it, it like I said, it creates opportunity. It's not it's not drastic where it's gonna, you know, affect right. the hunting or the herd. Um, real, real, yeah, real big either way. The only other thing that I see is with Unit Three B. It's the unit that they picked mm-hmm. to start the muzzleloader hunt earlier. So it starts November 9th through the fifteenth is the early muzzleloader hunt. And then the archery hunt is the 16th through the 29th. Now that's pretty significant in my opinion for someone who's interested in 3B. Okay. 
to have those later dates. I, I, I'm not super high on 3B. I think it's overshadowed by 1 and 3C and other units for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think no doubt those later dates would make that a much better hunt than it, than it would have been. Yeah, I haven't been in 3B in a long time. I had a bear hunt there several years back was the last time I was in there. But I remember years going years back, there was quite a bit of elk in that unit that were right. pretty nice. Um, right. I had a buddy of mine, his grandmother had a cabin over there, and we, we'd go up there. Actually, we'd go up there and go deer hunting too. But yeah, in my head, I still remember it as being a good unit, but I, I've heard that it's kind of been on the decline. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier about the alternate management program. What is that? Basically, John, my understanding of that means that they set aside those units and manage them more for trophy quality and a quality hunt experience. So they do that by tag allocations season dates like for instance unit nine you don't have a during the archery season you have no cow hunters in there mm-hmm. competing so they do that by lower tag allocations if they're going to run out cow hunts they typically do it after uh you know archery hunts and trophy bull hunts and they manage that by rifle hunts to keep the bull to cow ratio higher so they're looking to you know target a higher bull to cow ratio and an right. older age class of bulls in the unit. So if you if you combine those two things, if they're effective at doing that and you combine a higher bull to cow ratio and more mature bulls, what you typically get is a more active competitive right. rut, making for a better right. experience. Yep. Yeah. There's uh, there's been a lot of research done. It was mostly done in whitetails about having a closer buck to doe ratio and it it translates to, to elk and this is why i can yes. never understand why they do what they do here with the mule deer population and so on and so forth i it kind of kind of goes against it but a higher buck to doe ratio means a more intense rut, and it means that more of the does actually get bred which translates Absolutely. to more animals. So like, that's why they have right. that, you know, quality deer management, you know, back East in the middle East or uh, middle East, middle Midwest, excuse me, middle East. Right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, it's always been a long, this is my third podcast already today. Um, <laughs> it gets, that gets tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to do one. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And yeah, it's, I don't get into a whole thing, but that, that's, uh, that's why we have a trickle rut here uh, in, the, in the deer in the deer population. That's why our rut goes from like end of November all the way to freaking March. It's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Um, yep. And sometimes that's kind of cool, you know, but at right, the same time, right. you don't get that. You don't have the same the same chase period. And, and when we're talking about elk, you know, you don't have the crazy intense bugling. You don't have the competition where if you bugle, that bull wants to come and kick your ass because – he knows if he doesn't do that, he's not going to get, if there's ladies everywhere, it's like going into a bar, right? And you're, you, you and there's one other dude in there and there's a you know, hundred chicks. You're not going to fight that guy because you, know, right? you, you can't, you can't do a hundred chicks yourself anyway. So that's an accurate analogy for right. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I never thought of it that way, but that that's exactly it. Yeah. So 
anyway, well, cool, man. I, I want to thank you for coming on and, uh, and sharing the knowledge with us is good, quick information to send out, uh, before, before the draw closes here and hopefully help got some guys make some decisions. Uh, I wish I would have did it with you before I made my own decisions. Cause I, I realized that I probably did something I didn't want to do. Um, <laughs> but that's all right. You'll get it straight next year, John. <laughs> yeah. Cause I ain't going to draw. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why we guide, right? We yeah. guide because we don't draw very much and it's a lot of fun. So well, if yeah, you're like me, great. I haven't freaking drawn clients in the last couple of years either. So it's been pretty shitty. I know that but, can be tough as, as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, all right, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on and, uh, I appreciate you and uh, good luck in the draw. Yeah. Thank you, John. I appreciate you and all you do. And thanks to your listeners and uh, best of luck to everybody this year in the draw and hope, hope to see some of you guys out there in the field this year. Absolutely. Take it easy. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.